1: This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, November 10th, 2022. I am Jeff O'Neill. She is Rebecca Shinsky's, coming to you from the niche outlet, um, BookRiot.com.
0: <laughs> I got to get those t shirts made.
1: A t shirt? I got it tattooed across my t- uh, chest in um, uh, what's that old uh, copper? What's the one that looks like Gothic oh, that you can get in Microsoft yes, yeah. Word? Uh-huh. I can't remember what it is. Copper Smith, copper like plate, copper plate, yeah, copper plate Gothic, yeah. yeah. Gothic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they went the full Gutenberg on that for, uh, for me. Uh,
0: I mean, you've been waiting all these years yep. for finally something you wanted to get a tattoo of. I know that That's you've right. been wanting one. I just, I, I really mean, it's, do I know. just <laughs> been looking
1: for the right right tattoo. Someone will <laughs> treat me nice. You know, I can see myself growing old with. You know, yeah, you wait. and it's take a it's look.
0: Book Riot, a niche outlet
1: shot. <laughs> um it's november we're ca- coming to the end of the new release season. We had some new releases coming out this week, but the year is kinda done Ooh. on the whole um which is we we're, we're so we're kind of beginning the year end uh signing off on twenty twenty two when it comes to the culture about books and reading, especially as books that people people if they're going to publish a book they want it out in time for people to buy it. Yes. Um, and then we get a little bit, kind of like a six-week pent-up demand starts in the first week of January, where some other stuff starts coming out as well. Um, as part of our wrapping up of year one of our traditions is to our holiday recommendation show, where we spend an episode or two or, a couple, or an extra long, double-parter, depending how many we get, um, where our listeners, if you're new to the show, write in to ask for recommendations for themselves for holiday gifts for their friends families dads moms nieces teachers brothers wherever i've already had some of those start coming through already start thinking about those answers mm-hmm. but get those in when do they when do we have to have them in by when are we recording that show that's, oh that's any? a
0: great question we are recording we're doing a back-to-back right situation to record those um next thursday the 17th so you've got a week so- Get them yeah, in. Get them in.
1: And we've got room, so don't hesitate. Podcast at yeah. com.
0: And we are committed, for ad sales reasons, to two holiday recommendation episodes this year, so we d- we definitely have room.
1: You may get a lot of recommendations <laughs> if, if if this is it. I hope everyone's ready for two hours on uh, what to get my dad who likes tennis. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun one. <laughs> email us. Save us from ourselves. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Other things on the Patreon tip, Rebecca and I last week, it's in the feed now on the Patreon. If you are a member or interested in becoming one, we read the new George Saunders Liberation Day and spent the episode ranking the short stories in that collection by how George Saunders they were. We had a wonderful time. It was great. If you you like George Saunders, you will like it. And if you're new to George Saunders, part of it, you know, sort of running through it as a meditation on what George Saunders does, what his project is, mm-hmm. um I had a really good time, and i'm I, we're looking for more ways to do stuff like that. um but Liberation Day warranted it. Saunders is if you know, you know, I still think in the world of books and reading. I had an idea so. for a future Patreon episode where we we triage who counts as a household name based on what um kind of a reader you are, like if oh, you're just a person in the world, it's like Stephen King, right, and maybe mm-hmm. a few others. But if you are say an above, like what if you're a twelve to fifteen book reader a year, mm-hmm. and then what if you're a twenty five? I don't know it was an idea, and I was trying to figure out where George Saunders fits in that. I think he's in the upper middle of that range, um, especially when it comes so to litfic lit writers,
0: and also in that special category, which I haven't heard the term used in a while, but of a writer's writer,
1: a writer's writer. That's yeah, Salter is the er example for us mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that we've used before, but a writer's writer. That's that's a good one. That's another Patreon episode, for, <laughs> you know, our favorite writers writers as non writers. Grand
0: Unified Theory of Writers Writers. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So check that out there. And then coming up, uh, we're going to record after today. I'm Just sh- shouting it out because people are entering traveling season, and this is plane read recommendations, both in general and specific ideas for what to read on a plane. And why um I mine's turning into just stories of memorable times I was reading on a plane. I don't know why it's <laughs> turning into this, but that's what I'm doing.
0: I have a few memorable ones, but most of my memorable plane reading experiences are not things that I would have that I would recommend like replicating with anyone else. It was like memorable because I like had an existential crisis at thirty five thousand feet reading a thing I so I definitely some thinking need those about... stories yeah yeah We're I'll tell those stories. need to get those
1: yeah. <laughs> If you too would like an existential crisis, while on the <laughs> oh, Boston-Detroit <laughs> shuttle um, on U.S. Air, Boston-Detroit shuttle on U.S. A. U.S. Air doesn't exist, and B. I'm not <laughs> sure people are flying Boston-Detroit that much.
0: Also, that's not a shuttle. That's yeah, a, that's what's a, the minimum? Like what's
1: flight. the maximum length of a shuttle flight? In an hour? Can it be longer? than would so. be considered a shuttle yeah. flight. Yeah. I
0: think if it's a shuttle, it's like a little an up and a down.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just Where a they hop. throw the bottled water at you, right? They don't even get up with the cart. <laughs> they just come just running like, down the aisle. Heads yeah. up, seven B. <laughs> Here we go.
0: Hope you weren't expecting anything fancy. <laughs> a, hope you weren't I having an existential
1: feel... <laughs> crisis, and we're paying attention.
0: <laughs> Not enough time to have an existential crisis. Oh, that's on a good point. Like that.
1: Yeah, you you at least need 2 hours, right? To mm-hmm. you have to be up there yeah, for a while sink into let let the, the oxygen level in your blood come down <laughs> and everything happen that's the reason people c- cry at movies on planes. All right, let's do our first sponsor and we'll get into the news of the week. Really nice long email. I'm not going to share the whole thing here because a time and b d- specifics that are a little a little close to the vest for this person. But someone who works at Indigo bookstores mm. up in up Canada way, and they were inspired, I guess, by our discussion a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about my visit to a new form, newly formatted Barnes oh, yeah. and Noble bookstore, mm-hmm. and they were talking about what Indigo is doing. And I think. I didn't go check to look. If it's if it's what I'm remembering, I'll put it in the show notes. But we did an annotated episode about the very model of a modern major bookstore mm-hmm. that included an Indigo shout out where actually a listener to the show, I interviewed them about their, their experience <laughs> going right. to these, the bookstore. I remember that. That was fun. And, it's like, and, and the language the reader um, sent in with this uh, email was shop your own way is kind of the, the motto of Indigo and it's become like a department or department store that kind of orbits around the idea of books, not as many titles, a lot of other homewares and things like that. And then much less bookselleriness happening. You're not getting people that a can recommend books, not proactively asking what you're looking for. And it's much more hands-off and much more non book focused. And this reader was asking us to weigh in, given what we've seen in bookselling over the last two years and this new Barnes & Noble format, do do I, do we think that Barnes & Noble's format is participating in that wave or is it something else? So I thought it was worth spending a moment on because I remember that very distinctly. And this was pre-COVID, which I think is, which matters to a certain degree. I kind of feel like at the time, the Indigo, make it a department store around the idea of books was interesting. I think now, I think that's wrong. I Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're going to sell books, make the books the star of the show and do bookseller things or else let people buy them online. Maybe that, that, I was really fascinated to see that I've kind of turned around because I think I remember you and I thinking at least sympathetically or interestingly towards this Mm -hmm. Indigo model of making it a browsing experience. And if you pick up some books along the way, you're there for the books, but you're also going to buy a handbag and a candle and you know whatever Gwyneth Paltrow was hawking to make your chakras align. I don't know about this stuff. I'm I'm very naive (laughs) about this. But more of a lifestyle than a dedicated retailer. And it seems to me that independent bookstores and Barnes & Noble itself and Bookshop and Powell's have all weathered, if not weathered, thrived in this new book buying world in which if you're going to sell books, make books the thing. And if you're not going to do something else and I wonder, and it sounds like maybe Indigo's not doing so well, maybe, maybe. And I don't know if that's because of the strategy or other things that are going on there, but where are we in the world of physical book selling? I guess is another way of coming about this. And yeah. it feels to me like the old ways are back again of make it about books.
0: I think that's right. I hadn't thought about this Indigo books situation and that, annotated episode really since we did it but hearing you talk about that is making me think about how Nordstrom went out of business in the middle of the pandemic Mm. and they had a robust online business from what I understand they're still in business but many Nordstrom's physical stores have closed and they I I believe they went bankrupt I'd have to double check um but they had major financial trouble and I remember looking at the photos of the indigo books and thinking like oh it looks like a Nordstrom's that's like half (laughs) of a bookstore yeah (laughs) And, you know, they're not the same thing, but the higher end, like mid to high end department store experience is not really an experience that folks who are shopping in younger generations want to have Mm -hmm. Um, most of us. And I think everybody younger than me um, is doing a lot of shopping online and a lot of shopping in like local boutiques. If you do want to take your body to a place and try clothes on, but the idea of like going to the mall to hang is not a thing that the youths are doing. Um, So hard to sell that idea of like come to a, come to a bookstore that replicates an experience that generationally is falling out of Mm -hmm. favor I think. But yeah, there's a lot to recommend about the experience of a, like a really great independent bookstore, especially, or someone who can listen to you talk about the thing that you're looking for and put a book into your hand. And if it's not going to be that, then like, what is the point of taking my body to a bookstore when I can just browse things on the internet or listen to podcasts or ask people?
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I also wonder if they got a little unlucky in this regard, which is the, the TikTok of mm-hmm. book buying, especially, you know, when you're at Barnes & Noble at 315 getting your fraps <laughs> in and watching all the kids come in to buy YA new adult, what we used to call new, new adult mm-hmm. um, paperbacks, I don't I don't know that Barnes & Noble was smart or lucky or that Indigo was smart or unlucky, that suddenly there was a lot of demand for a place where you could go buy. Take pictures and videos of yourself buying books physically, especially in mass market or trade paperback. Yeah, and you needed a bunch of titles, and that became almost more of a warehouse situation. And this was one of the things the new Barnes and Noble is really doing. It's like it's really book forward, but it doesn't have the same back list. Like you don't have all of those shelves, those shelves mm-hmm. that you and I both loved as fifteen-year-olds, where you kind of go get lost in literary fiction <laughs> shelves. You have to stand there with titles. your head
0: tilted to the side so yeah. you can read all the spines of things. And I
1: I mean this is one thing, you're probably on your tiptoes and I'm kinda of crouched <laughs> down trying to find you know, see what's in the bottom and you're trying to see what's in the Between
0: us oh. we can cover a whole shelf.
1: That's right, yeah. Uh and some of what happened is just a weird wrinkle of futureness, which it was yeah. hard to foresee where having a place where people would go to buy books and look at books and an uptick in in that, rather than selling books as a hook to buying something else, you know, sometimes those them's the breaks. The yeah, future's hard, man.
0: It, the future is hard, and especially if you were doing futureness in the pre-COVID yeah. world, it, it's impossible to know what this Indigo Books model would have done if COVID had never happened, and mm. also if TikTok had never happened, and the like, just rapid takeoff of TikTok. In COVID, those two things no. together no. Um, are just monumental variables that we'll, we can never A/B test that universe. The, that it might have been the right strategy without a COVID situation for Indigo. Might've that might have been the way that a lot of things went. Um, but yeah, right now I'm curious. I guess if we'll see Indigo books pivot to a different strategy in the next year or two um, if if it does in fact seem like they're not doing very well with this new model. And that's just a hard place to be. It's like, it's really hard to do strategy about anything where you're just making, this is all anybody is ever doing is making the best guesses we can about what's going to happen. Right. With the information that you have. And when no one has the information of like, there's going to be a global pandemic that's going to change the way people shop. And there's going to be a social media hit that, also changes the ways that people shop and the way they post online and what they what kind of physical Mm -hmm. world experiences they want to have so they can portray them Mm. online you just i really feel for those indigo folks and anybody else who did a major overhaul of a business strategy a year or two before COVID and then has had to navigate that
1: if i remember right the lead to that episode was Sharifa and I going to an Amazon right. Books <laughs> <That's> store <right. laughs> out here in Portland on the West Side, and you know what's still around for sure is Amazon Books, right, Rebecca? They're doing well. That all that all turned out <laughs> yeah. fine for Amazon. Yeah, books.
0: I've heard great things about that plan for them.
1: <laughs> well, for those Amazon don't not know, in the news
0: this week for losing a trillion dollars.
1: <laughs> is that worth talking about? We can. I, I was wondering about that, but anyway, I think it's interesting, um, especially I'm speaking directly to the emailer here, but although they're interested, that Amazon Books is now gone too. And they Mm -hmm. were part of a similar kind of idea with Indigo. Books were definitely there, but they're selling Alexa devices and Roombas and Kindles and games and other things that go along with it. And it seems like those people that put their retailing eggs in the books, books, books business Mm -hmm. came out ahead, you know, came out a little, little more ahead. And I don't know, I don't have a lot of the reasons for that. Um, necessarily, but it seems to me that you, rather than having the sidelines be a lift, they became a drag on people going mm-hmm. into your store. Yeah. And there's definitely sidelines still in the new Barnes & Noble format. They're kind of sprinkled throughout, but it feels much less like the older format, Barnes & Noble, like there's a whole giant toys section right in the middle and a whole giant note. Like it's more integrated They're more side dishes, but like you've got nice meat and you got the nice meat and potatoes. But there's some cream spinach there too. But the old format really did start to feel like all the books were in the back, kind of don't look at them too much. And here's the (laughs) magazines, and here's the Starbucks, and here's the games, and here's all the fan servicey Harry Potter ones and other kinds of things. But it does, and I think that's one thing I was expressing in my like mini review. It's like I felt like I was in a real Mm. book forward bookstore again, where they weren't shoved to the back or there to move notebooks. They were the stars of the show. Now there are fewer of them because they're cover out, but in a weird way, the fewer titles cover out feels more book forward. You just see a lot more. You're yeah. just yeah. getting a lot more information. Um,
0: from a branding perspective, it's just easier to communicate to a consumer what they should expect yeah. when they come in. If you're about one <laughs> right. thing, right. <laughs> you know, right. yep. then we're about books. And also you can get your purse here. Mm. <laughs> like.
1: Mm. Interesting. Um, so beyond that, speaking of Amazon, so I asked in, the cha- in in our work channel the other day, I got this email. Did you see this when I put this channel from oh, Kindle, yeah, this I think new I did. Kindle Rewards mm-hmm. program? A couple things. I want to talk to you about it here, but also I'm curious to pull our listener. It's a beta program from Amazon where there's a rewards program for buying books, which I have never seen before with Amazon. Some of the other competitive retailers do it. I know Thrift Books does, Books a Million mm-hmm. does. Uh, I think Half Price Books does. Barnes & Noble is like a membership program, but I don't think there's like a rewards program. So, like for every dollar or something you buy, you get a a point to use on whatever. You just
0: get discounts at Barnes & Noble, but it's not tiered based on your spend.
1: So this is, it's called Kindle Rewards, but it's a little misleading because you get points for every book purchase, physical (laughs) or not. You get a little bit of a higher rate for Kindle books. You get three points per dollar spent on Kindle books and two points per dollar spent on physical books, and then basically you can trade them in at a cent per point to buy stuff. Uh, okay. It looks like you can only buy, it's a little unclear, I think you can only use them to buy Kindle books, so that's, you know, that's a thing to mm-hmm. think keep in mind. But A, oh I, Peng, the Penguin Random House Reader Rewards Program is the other thing I was thinking about, sorry, yeah. just to, to close the loop, that was open to no one but me uh, in my mind right there, <laughs> A, so a couple things, Rebecca, was there any other questions you have about this? You know, the details, I have the email in front of me, so I'm happy to answer them. The second is, is this a good program? You know, is this interesting on its face? And then the last one is like, what does it mean? What, if anything, might it portend? So where do you want I'm, to start?
0: Well, I'm trying to do some math in my head. So it's, yes. you earn three points per dollar spent on a Kindle book. Is that right? right? Yes. Okay. So if I bought... The Kindle book of
1: no, I'm sorry. Five points per dollar spent on Kindle books points. and two okay. points per dollar spent on print books. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, so if I buy the Kindle book of whatever and it's mm-hmm. five ninety nine, I'm getting basically thirty points in the Kindle situation. In yeah, the reward program. I think they round
1: okay. up. Yeah, but close enough. And then
0: yeah. the redemption is the it's one point per cent.
1: It says redeem for Kindle book credits. Get three dollars for every three hundred points. So that's essentially. A penny a piece, right? If you three hundred points, yeah. three hundred cents is three dollars. So it's a penny a. Okay.
0: Point. Right. So to earn three hundred points, I'd have to buy 10 599 Kindle books, basically, basically and yeah, then right. so okay, yeah. So in that model, one free Kindle book for every. I mean, 10 you're you essentially purchase. getting
1: five percent back in Kindle yeah. credit for every dollar you it's, for what on your spend for Kindle.
0: Uh, It's fine, I think. I'm not terribly excited about it. Just doing the math about what we know of people's reading habits in the general public. Mm -hmm. Buying 10 Kindle books per year, buying 10 of any book (laughs) per year in any format is on the high end of the general Mm -hmm. public's reading. And so just the likelihood that Amazon has to pay this out to many readers is pretty low. Um, Then you have the chunk of power readers that are going to like earn a ton of them. And that intersects mm-hmm. kind of in an interesting way in my brain with that a lot of those power readers are also reading like genre stuff that they read a ton of and often the ebooks of those genre titles those are pretty inexpensive. It might be like $1.99 mm-hmm. or $2.99. A lot of them are self-published or they get dropped in price because they know that they're trying to just sell a jillion copies of it. So you have to buy even more of those to earn enough. Right. To get a free, like average priced Kindle book. It's interesting. It seems very late to develop a that's reader. That's what Romans I. That's right. The,
1: the more interesting to me is why now. I think <laughs> and what it might mean. Okay, so also I. I'm a beta invite. I got the. Mm-hmm. Who knows how they're deciding to pick this? I guess I spend quite a bit of money on Kindle books in a year, probably in the upper ten percent. I read a lot, and Kindle is my chosen mm-hmm. ebook format. Um, so if I, if I'm kind of trying to. What read the Kremlinology here? Like, what are they trying to get me to do that I wasn't doing otherwise? That's always a question about a loyalty program, right? Okay. An airline—they want you to fly Delta versus American, right? When in de- if it's if it's choice between the two, we we want you to fly with us. So you can earn the more points to get the status. So you can fly to Barbados on free mm-hmm. points, which you never can because it won't be available, and that's not <laughs> you know that, that kind of a thing, right? So like. Basically, in a commodity world, the loyalty situation is choose us versus that for reasons other than the product, because the product is essentially the same. That's where I sort of got interested, because the book I buy on Kindle is basically a commodity I can buy on Apple Books, I can buy on Barnes mm-hmm. & Noble, I can buy on Kobo. Do they think there are ebook book purchases I'm making elsewhere that I would make on Kindle if I knew if this was a thing? That's essentially what it has to be, Right.
0: Or maybe they're trying to suck up the print book purchases from people who split their formats. Oh, like, I see. I would think that, I mean, I w- I'm just guessing. I would think that most people who read exclusively their e-books on Kindle are probably doing most of their physical book shopping if they read physical books too on amazon as well because that one Mm -hmm. click is easy but you in particular and amazon can't possibly know this but you're an interesting Mm -hmm. test case here because you do your ebook reading on kindle and then you're down at powell's most weeks picking up something in front list in hardcover and so in your like test case of one
1: i'm the test case
0: yeah amazon has a shot of maybe incentivizing you to instead of going to Powell's to pick up that book, ordering it from Amazon because you'll get your points for it even though you get fewer mm. points than an ebook if you've decided you want that book as a physical the book.
1: Kindle is a canard here. It's not about mm-hmm. Kindle. I like that. I think this I is like about that sucking theory. up print books. Yeah. Sucking up print book sales. That's really fascinating. Because part of me is like Kindle's already ninety ish percent of the ebook market. So why why do that? I guess that's an interesting th- wrinkle I hadn't thought of. Look or at the second line item. I- Sometimes looking at the second line item rather than the yeah. first tells you more right. about what's going on.
0: Actually, maybe it's all connected to ebooks because I think it's interesting that you get fewer points for per purchasing dollar. physical books, which are more expensive. And I would guess that they're then trying to incentivize ebook purchasing because Amazon has to spend less money to sell you an ebook than they do to ship you a physical book. Right. So, really, the decision tree might be. In the test case of Jeff O'Neill, at least, what I'm thinking about going to Powell's on Friday and picking up that new book. Actually, maybe I'll order it from Amazon wow. instead, because then I could. Am earn I so points.
1: cheaply bought for two points per two percent back on my if, print books?
0: Well, I don't know, man. Maybe, but th- it's an interesting time. Uh, like recession headlines and gas mm. prices are an interesting time to launch something where if you're loyal to us, we'll give you stuff back for free. Yeah. and you know maybe they are doing something of like if we can get you to decide you're not going to Powell's today you're going to order that book from Amazon then maybe the secondary effect there is oh wait if i just got it in ebook i would earn more points right. but that ascribes a lot of intention and analysis to a single purchase decision that i i'm not sure how many readers how many consumers in general are thinking that deeply about you know, how many points they're going to earn on this purchase. It Like, is it, I could go to Kroger to pick up my ground beef today, but if I go to Publix instead, I'll get more points from Publix on my gas hmm. back, whatever. Like, I, I just don't know that, like, you read, I'm sure you read more books than almost, mo- yes. than, than most readers. We know this statistically. And if you're not going to do that kind of math, I'm like, let me, choose this thing so I earn these points, then how is it possibly worth it for Amazon mm-hmm. for the average reader who's buying fewer than 10 books? Yeah, a
1: I, I'm curious. I guess I don't know enough about loyalty programs in general. I guess especially the ones that are in-house loyalty programs where you're mm-hmm. basically earning currency to spend at that retailer. I understand the travel ones a little bit better because you know American Airlines essentially sells those points to Chase or whoever mm-hmm. for much less than it's going to cost them, and those are hugely profitable, hugely profitable programs because it becomes a currency that they sell for less than it or for more than it costs them to fulfill. Right. This is a little bit different because there's not really arbitrage. It doesn't seem like they're not mm-hmm. selling these points to someone else and then buying, you know, and then having to fulfill them much later. Right. That would make sense to me because. 3, 3% three back for Kindle purchases, that's a very high margin item, right? They mm-hmm. don't have to ship that. They don't have to package it. They don't have to warehouse it. That's a very easy thing to give up. It's interesting that you cannot redeem them for physical right. books. They're not they're, and maybe they're that's for this where particular the, thing.
0: The naming convention of Kindle rewards program yeah. comes in is that the rewards are all Kindle. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Like, and I did notice at the bottom here that it will accurately and faithfully track all of my Audible. Uh, I'm, actually, no, I'm kidding about that. It has nothing to do with the <laughs> money I spent on Audible, completely divorced, has no connection, mm-hmm. um, either explicitly or implicitly, because that's because, you know, because e- audio pricing makes a lot of sense. And it makes me very happy at all times. <laughs> How I would you feel it, if
0: you got invited to a beta of an Audible rewards program?
1: <laughs> and you get nothing. That's what Audible, that's what you would get. We have a new bundle to offer you. makes even less sense than our (laughs) old ones. Have I told you the story about, I went to this bar one time with friends in (laughs) the East, Lower East Side. I don't know. And and, um, the special, we went in and we were, it was a long hot day in Manhattan. I'll tell the rest of (laughs) the story for the rest of the customers. Uh, The listeners, pardon me. And they said, you know, on the marquee, it said um, special today. uh, And it was called Ass Juice. I don't think I have to believe. And it's, it's either three dollars each, or t- or three for ten dollars. And our first question is, <laughs> "What is that?" And it's said, a bad "Well, deal. It's what like, it well, is. at the end of the night, whatever's left over in the bottles that's not enough to make drinks, we just pour into a jug and we we pour it out, oh and God. that's the special three dollars a drink." Okay, and then and then my friend Jeremy was like, "So it's three dollars each, or three for ten dollars?" Thinking maybe that would initiate some moment of. Simple math in the mm-hmm, in the barkeep, mm-hmm. and the barkeep, without irony or any wink of recognition in his eye, said, "Yep, three for ten dollars." <laughs> and so we look around and we're like, "All right, we'll take three for ten dollars, just <laughs> just for sport." I feel like Audible's deal to me would be three dollars <laughs> each or three for ten dollars as part of Audible rewards. That's the I deal. Think that's
0: right. Mm-hmm. That's
1: the deal. Interesting. It's a beta program. I've I've never been a part of any of the Amazon beta stuff. I guess it's telling that it's not. Um, they, it's not worked so well that it's in wide release. I don't know. I'd love to know what kind of consumer behavior would make this generally available. Like, what do they want me to do? Yeah. What are they hoping people like me will do? Why was I picked? I don't, I don't get it.
0: I'm sure it was algorithmic in some capacity, being Amazon. Yeah. Um,
1: Maybe if you spent a certain amount of dollars at all, you got picked out to of keep some us- group.
0: Keep us posted here about when you earn your reward and what you're going to do with it.
1: <sighs> well, I, I logged in because I'm an animal to see like whatever thing <laughs> looks like, and I already had 191 points somehow. I don't. They gave me retroactive credit for oh, something. Okay. I don't know. I get if I buy ten dollars in Kindle books, I get 300 bonus Kindle points. By well, yesterday I jumped on that, <laughs> as you can tell. So they're trying to get me to use it. My my thinking here would be. I guess I'll I'll take the credits, man. I'm buying my Kindle books. I sure. buy some books through Amazon. I mean, honestly, the ones I buy through Amazon are the ones that I get a good markdown. So What If by Randall Monroe was like $38 list, What If 2, mm-hmm. and I think it was $24 on Amazon. So I, if I'm going to save 14 bucks on that one, um, I do it. But generally speaking, especially if it's debut authors and authors of color, yeah. I buy it full freight at Powell's. So I don't know. I, I think I'll take whatever I get. And trade it in for three bucks off my next purchase of something. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing I can not, use it for an audiobook. Oh, no, I can't. Sorry. I can't
0: and not think an about audiobook. it too hard beyond that.
1: Yeah, just kind of pick up the freebie. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. interesting. Do you do any loyalty programs outside of airlines? We all do airlines yeah. because it's. Do you do anything like this? No. Have we talked about this before?
0: Well, I mean, nothing that I'm devoted to in a way that I pay attention to it. Like yeah. the place where I go to get my nails done has a little punch card. Okay. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, most any loyalty program I'm a part of that isn't just the fact that Delta Airlines owns my soul forever right. um is like is like a punch card at a local place and then a friend who owns an indie bookstore that I will order stuff in a different location that I will order stuff from. They have a, ro- a loyalty program where I don't even know how it work. I don't think you can game it. It's just based on like how I- when you spend a certain number of dollars, at some point you earn some kind of discount. And so mm-hmm. every now and then I place an order and I get an email that's like, oh, hey, BT dubs, we're refunding you like eight bucks because you've earned a discount on this thing. Like, cool. Mm. But no, there's I do not participate in any other... Loyalty program. I generally do not find them to be incentivizing, and I'm not gonna pay attention. My like yeah. in my limited human intellectual bandwidth, I'm just not gonna spend any attention on that. Oliver Berkman wouldn't want me to. <laughs> yeah.
1: What would Oliver Berkman do is not the worst heuristic <laughs> in the world. Yeah, I wonder about those local places. Um, my 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 first memory of a loyalty program was actually at the Raven back in back mm-hmm. in Lawrence, <laughs> where if you spent seventy five bucks. You got 10 bucks off your next purchase. So what does that come out to be? That's like 12 and a ish percent. Back. pretty good. It's not bad, um, especially when I was broke. Uh, yeah, buying hardbacks for prestige, I guess, because I was insufferable <laughs> and no one should have spent time. Right, with me. my
0: beloved Metropolis Coffee, that was right across from my first apartment uh, in Chicago, had the like that very quaint situation where they've got a little card box on the counter, and yeah. you just write your name on a card, and it lives there, so you don't have to carry it around with you. But you go and you order your latte, and they stamp your card, and when you hit ten, you get your free coffee. And like in college, having paid for ten coffees, yes. getting a free one was very exciting I and was did happy you go there
1: versus the place down the day. way because of the card was there like did it actually yeah. change and well, it, it was like
0: i mean it was like five steps away from the yeah. front door of my apartment building i could smell i would like wake up in the mornings and smell them roasting coffee it was amazing um i think i would Sounds have been nice. loyal to them no matter what uh, mm-hmm. but they got me to be extra loyal i think for that yeah. i would now like
1: I n- now i need to do some reading on loyalty programs just because i'm interested now like what because <laughs> it feels like for this one particularly for me the, the base case is I will get some free Kindle credits and Amazon will have got no marginal dollars from me. That's my yeah. guess right now. So yeah. who are they trying to do what with? Is, is what
0: And how clear? many, like what percentage of users, even just of these beta users, did they need to see, Something. have an uptick in their behavior at all to be like, yes, this is worth it?
1: Mm-hmm. And I can understand if you're trying to compete with Amazon, why have a rewards program, right? Because it's basically sure. trying to narrow the spread of what you're going to pay. It's fascinating to me to see the dominant player in the ebook industry make a rewards program for their mm-hmm. for their thing. Generally speaking, that's not what you need to do if you have a near monopoly in a particular space. Yeah. So, I don't know if that's telling me about a fundamental weakness or sometimes you try stuff. You know, yeah. that's also a thing. Sometimes even the board the doesn't know what to do.
0: Yeah, the timing is curious, but who knows.
1: Yeah. All right. So, thank you for going on that journey with me. Well, I was to say on Amazon for a second. I have to admit, Rebecca, I thought this was already a thing. Me too. And I'm surprised (laughs) it took this long. I've been talking for a while. Why don't you tell the people what we're talking about that we thought existed but didn't?
0: Amazon has started incorporating Goodreads ratings for some titles onto those titles' book pages. I really thought that I had seen this before. Yes. (laughs) And I had... So when it came out this week, there was a series of tweets. We've got a piece on Book Riot that covers the news of this, where consumers have started noticing that this is happening and that's kind of all there is to it we don't know why um it's noted in the piece like most books have far more ratings on goodreads than they do on amazon and so i think this is possibly reader and customer service of you know it might have like five ratings on amazon but 50 or 500 on goodreads and so let's pull more data in over here to help customers decide what to read i wonder like are they only doing it for titles that have goodreads ratings over a certain threshold Uh, because they think that might be incentivizing or helping motivate people to click on the buy button um it's uh, it's interesting it's only on some of them so it does seem to be like a beta or a slow rollout uh, situation there has not been an announcement from goodreads about the purpose. Of this or, or an announcement from Amazon, which, you know, that's fine. Amazon, right. most websites don't make big announcements when they make small changes to the feature set of how, the ways yeah. that a product gets listed. It does raise some interesting questions about the fact that. Books can be review bombed on Goodreads. It's a little harder to do review bombing on Amazon since Amazon started noting whether something is a verified purchase Mm -hmm. or not. But for those who are unfamiliar, review bombing is where for some reason or another, people get mad at an author and they go and rate the book. You know, one star on Goodreads. You don't have to have read it. You don't have to have purchased it. The book doesn't even have to have been published yet. And this can be a major bummer for authors. I don't know how much impact it actually has on sales, but in the world that we live in, where you know, pre-publication buzz is really important to authors and publishers and where it's perceived. Your Goodreads rating is perceived as a thing that matters. Having somebody get mad at you and uh, have a coordinated attack on your Goodreads ratings. Mm-hmm. Not a great day at the very least. Um, so it's interesting to see that, like how how good is this data that's getting pulled in from Goodreads? How reflective of the quality of the book? Who knows, but that's true of really any open community review situation on any retailer um but yeah my primary reaction was also oh i thought they were already doing this Uh (laughs) um so i I would love to know more how did you pick the first titles i'm sure it's all being done with tech so is this really about titles with certain goodreads ratings or above um we're going to put that on there and help sell it because uh, it, it, it can't help if it the goodreads rating is like 1.4 stars um
1: yeah and just browsing through a little like there's there's a couple that have their goodreads ratings included that are below three okay. so i you know i kind of think of three and above as positive and below three mm-hmm. is, is mixed to negative especially given you know kind of grading on the curve um i i i I honestly hadn't thought about the Amazon Goodreads integration in a million years. To be perfectly honest, which it's I think been it's almost a telling. decade. Yeah. yeah, and why now? Why why not before? <laughs> I would have thought this would have been like a day zero think... one ish kind of move. Like, why not put the I rate? Mean... What is the point I think of having Goodreads? We talked
0: about that. Like yes. when Amazon bought Goodreads back in twenty thirteen, I know that we sat here on this podcast and set, like speculated about things like, well, maybe Goodreads ratings will start being displayed on Amazon pages. And like, it yeah. took you nine years to decide to do that, and why now?
1: And why now? And it doesn't look like it it doesn't look like the Goodreads. so how it's presented, and I'm looking at a couple of examples here. I'm gonna redact the names because mm-hmm. it's in a tweet that says about yeah. some stuff that anyway. But like there's what the average is on Goodreads out of how many ratings. But it doesn't look like that's actually clickable. Like you're not going to click. It's not going to take you to Goodreads, which is interesting.
0: Oh, interesting. Well,
1: you know, they don't want to take you out of the purchase funnel, baby. Right, maybe. right. They, they want to keep you right there. And in a lot of cases, you're looking at a, a 10x increase. Or like The number of Goodreads reviews can be 10 times more than on Amazon, mm-hmm. which is a thing. And <laughs> I think it looks like the... Well, tell me, do you think it's a meaningful difference? 3.8 stars on 303 readings on Amazon versus 2.9 on 4,000 ratings. What are you supposed to do with that as a consumer? (laughs) They're all lower on Goodreads, as far as I can tell. Every single one that I've seen, they're lower Mm -hmm. star counts on Goodreads.
0: That would, I think regression to the mean, the bigger your data set, the more likely, unless it's like one of those huge outlier books that everybody rates five stars, the more likely it is that it's going to fall towards like the center there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know that this is helpful. I, but then again, I don't look at star ratings that strangers give no. books to help me decide what books to read. Um, I wonder what Amazon knows about that. I wonder if they have, you know, click and scroll data on... Mm-hmm. consumers reading ratings and reviews of books, and maybe they're wondering what happens if they incorporate Goodreads stuff there.
1: Um,
0: yeah. Many, many questions about what Amazon is up to right now.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, well, fascinating to see it happen now of all times. I don't, I right. don't have a good sense of what is. I'm not sure how it's helpful. Like, I'm looking at it. One thing I – the only thing I use the, the reviews for, um, and I only look at Amazon, is I kind of look at the count, the number of reviews, just to give me some mm-hmm. gross estimation of popularity. That's all I'm. That's all I use it a proxy for. I don't really care about the ratings. I guess if something has like five stars with the hundreds and hundreds of ratings, mm-hmm. I guess that might get my attention. Like it's hard to keep that kind of average up over that um, amount month time. But this now confuses that number more because now I'm like adding together the numbers. Am I going to default <laughs> to the number of Goodreads reviews? It, it feels to me more confusing than clarifying. Um, as a passive user of these kinds of things. So, right. I don't know yeah. if you've got another use case for this podcast at bookriot.com. And if I didn't say before, if you too were invited to the Kindle rewards program, podcast at bookriot.com, and if you wouldn't mind, if you let me know, you know, give me some general sense of your Kindle slash Amazon. Are you a fair, you know, light, medium, heavy user of Amazon books or of Amazon for sourcing your books, especially when you buy them? Uh, let's do another sponsor break and then. Um, We'll come back. Well, they actually struck, Rebecca Harper Collins. They did. Collins, the 250 ish of them that are represented by the union uh, out of 4,000 global workers for Amazon, uh, excuse me, Harper Collins, mm-hmm. have struck. Um, indefinitely. Indefinitely until there's a new contract uh, editorial, publicity, sales, marketing, legal, and design. Question for the, the group. That's a lot of, those are a lot of different departments. Like, <laughs> yes. who, is a, who is unionized versus not? It's a great question. I don't understand. I don't Marketing, know enough about design, unions. Like,
0: yeah. One of the folks quoted, one of the HarperCollins employees quoted in here is a works in production. And so I wonder if that is under design um,
1: yeah. or not. Why are very, there not more and why are there not less, I guess, or right. fewer, pardon me.
0: <laughs> right. And how do folks like, who's invited? Is everybody invited, but only mm-hmm. it's just that 250 people decided to join the union? I don't know how that works at a, a corporation like that. These are, I think, very reasonable things that they're asking for. The union's proposing that HarperCollins raise the minimum starting salary um, from $45,000 a year to 50000 per year, which... Uh, most of the HarperCollins employees are in New York City, which is a very expensive place to live, even on $50,000 a year. Um, they're also demanding that the company address the lack of diversity in its workforce. And they see those things, I think, very correctly as interconnected, that it's if you don't have generational wealth for systemic reasons related uh, to race and socioeconomic status or immigrant status or access to higher education or any, you know, any number of things, we don't need to list out all of them, it becomes even more difficult to take an entry level job at a publisher, even if you're highly qualified, that pays $45,000 per year, and that that Mm. starting pay may be limiting who applies for jobs there and then who can actually take jobs there. And that if they want to diversify their workforce, you've got to pay people a wage that allows them to come work for you. Um, And not everybody can, you know, be supported by their family or have second jobs or third jobs that we've, you and I have both known a lot of folks who worked in lower and mid-level publishing jobs who had side gigs and were working many, many more than 40 hours per week, both, both for publishers and their side hustles. And I think HarperCollins' union folks are right on here that these, are, these pieces are connected and that if they value diversifying the workforce, you need to look at things like base pay and better family leave because you're, you lose women from the workforce, especially mm-hmm. when you don't have family leave. Um, and women especially then can't reach the highest echelons that they might want to otherwise. it would be interesting to see how this goes. HarperCollins says they're negotiating in good faith. so
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, You know I like external principles. I wonder Mm -hmm. what the living wage salary calculation would be for New York City. I'd be curious to see in the negotiations. It's an interesting idea. Um, $45,000 wasn't a lot when I lived in New York seven years ago, and it wasn't a lot when I lived there 15 years ago.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm looking. We use a – so for – our internal stuff. We use a tool yep. that calculates base living wage, um, and New York City's base living wage for just a one person, a single person mm-hmm. household, is twenty five dollars and forty two cents per hour. Which, if you do the whole, you know, like double the hourly right. r- rate to get roughly what the salary would be, it's that's fifty thousand still comes in just under that, but yeah. but pretty close. And forty five mm-hmm. per year is meaningfully under. Um, yeah. So I think. Pushing for a livable wage when you're trying to attract a more diverse workforce makes a lot of sense. There's a strong business case for doing that, not just that it's the right thing, but it makes a lot of sense for your business. Um, Would like to see HarperCollins respond to that. This piece um, in The Times by Alexandra Alter and Elizabeth Harris, who do a ton of great publishing coverage. No surprise there's
1: the byline there, yeah.
0: Right, yeah. They note that publishing is known for low-paying jobs with demanding Hours and that this has sort of just been a historical part of working in the industry, kind of pay, a paying your dues mm-hmm. sort of model and um, that folks are a lot less tolerant of, and I think it's time to see some change there um, so we'll be paying attention
1: yeah i I didn't think it would get to this it mm-hmm. was wrong uh, yeah Mayor i'm I'm impressed succeed, you know? union
0: yeah. may your efforts succeed.
1: Um, let's see, where do you wanna go? It's kind of uh, potpourri for the rest. Let your it let your is. conscience be conscience and interest be your guide before I get to frontless <laughs> for you.
0: Yeah, let's just sprinkle the potpourri here yeah. for those following the story of the library, the public library in Jamestown, yeah. Michigan that Kelly Jensen has been writing about for Book Riot. This is the town that conservative propaganda led to them voting down the library tax rate on the ballot earlier in the year. And then there was a GoFundMe campaign that was you know, a grassroots situation by residents of Jamestown that raised over $100,000 and that Nora Roberts added a $50,000 donation mm-hmm. to the whole campaign topped out at over 250000 So that was a big success, but it was never intended or expected that that GoFundMe could replace the local funding provided by taxpayers. And in the elections earlier this week, the citizens of Jamestown once once again voted against the millage rate, 55.8% against 44.2%. So this library once again does not have funding. Uh, that money represents 85% of the library's budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole reason this was happening was propaganda around the library carrying lgbtq books Mm -hmm. so as kelly sums it up very succinctly here the town seems to have shown they'd rather have no library at all than one that carries lgbtq books Um, i'm sure the good folks of jamestown michigan are continuing to try to fight this um but this is serious stuff a town may lose its library um hard to think of a more present and concrete you know, visible impact of this kind of propaganda in this current spate not of not even just of specific titles being banned, but of the source of books and information, the source of access to a community losing its funding because people don't like a very, very small percentage of some of the material that's in there.
1: It's not what you want.
0: No. Um, you
1: want. This is also, a, if you are interested, we'll point you at it. I have avoided any talk of this unauthorized Anthony Bourdain biography. I don't think I need the sordid details. I, I think I know mm-hmm. they exist. Um Jason Diamond, who we're longtime fans of, it's a piece in Bon Appetit, link in the show notes. I, I'm not I'm not here to like for the the Bourdain hagiography, but I'm also not here to wallow around in very painful human tough um I don't know. I, it's not what yeah. I'm interested in at this point. Is, is that a fair characterization? Are you on the same Mish page? Or yes, are you that's exactly
0: stuff? where I am. Um, I don't have much inclination to read an una- unauthorized biography of anybody. <laughs> There's a lot of mm-hmm. sketchy stuff that can go in there, and I was going to avoid this for the same reasons. I don't. It's. Not, I don't think it's my right or anyone's right to know the private very painful details of someone's life and their final days he died very tragically I don't need that as entertainment it seems salacious and I had seen I follow Jason online we've known each other for I think the length of my bookish career. Um, and I'd seen him say he didn't intend to read this una- unauthorized biography, but Bon Appetit came and you know asked him if he would review it. And he, he does, I think, a very thorough and fair job and also lands in the place that we have. But if you'd like to read someone go into details about what's going on in this book, and what the concerns might be, uh, I thought he did a really wonderful measured job of that was probably more generous than I could have been (laughs) based on what some of the excerpts are that I've encountered. Uh, So we'll put the link to that in the show notes.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's not very, I mean, I think it's a mark of specialness that Bourdain even gets the, for lack of a better word, sort of exploitive kind of unauthorized Mm -hmm. biography that people feel a, a personal human connection to enough to want to know. In speculative, grisly detail, even what the end looked like, which I guess I sympathize with. You know, I, I it kind of makes sense for me. It kind of makes sense to me, and I understand that. On the other hand, you didn't know Anthony Bourdain, and neither did I, and neither did mm-hmm. this person. And there is a bit of, yeah, it just it just feels yucky to me. I don't like yeah. it, and I think Jason does a good job of of getting into this and. Um, anyway, it's the kind of thing that we like to see and point to, but I don't want to dwell on. Very yeah,
0: much. yeah. I always appreciate when someone is willing to do the move of, I will yes. read this and talk right. about it so that you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does a really nice job here. So, we'll, yeah, links in the show notes for that.
1: Yeah. In uh, uh, Transitions to list. Happiest Books, let's do Frontless Foyer. You and I are on the same page. Yes. We're rocking the same list right now. We are. Reading in parallel right now. It's great. What track are we sailing along together Rebecca tell we're sailing
0: along the Ross Gay inciting joy track and it is almost I have almost two incitements left and I've been it's kind of the same experience I didn't expect it to be but it's kind of the same experience I was having with the Mukherjee of like I don't want to finish this book (laughs) Will you and... use
1: a completely family friendly metaphor for what's happening? <laughs> Would you like to do that right now?
0: I'm just trying to savor it. Okay. And since it is divided into 14 essays, I've been, I want to really sit with each one. There's something mm. wonderful and thoughtful in each one. And I, like, I, the first urge was like, oh, this is wonderful. I could just read the whole thing. But <laughs> I just want to really think about it and contemplate what he's saying and spend yeah. some time with Ross Gay's brain. brain. Uh, so I've been doing like one in the morning, one in the evening and missed a couple days and, you know, like read one at lunch today. I was like, okay, got two left. But I knew after the second one. I mean, really, I knew after the first one.
1: <laughs> I knew I almost texted you the first one hits hope close to home for you for a variety of reasons. Um, I can yeah. imagine. And, uh, well, I, I appreciate. There's something I like about the packaging of this book, from the mm-hmm. title to the floral. It's almost like one of those monarch butterflies that masquerades <laughs> as a monarch butterfly, even though it's not poisonous. But in the reverse, where this one is yeah. not poisonous, but it, this is not. Um, I don't even know. This is not a feel good, in in the in a very cloying way book that it might mm-hmm. look like with the name of inciting joy with a flower cover. This is not the Brene Brown notebook, and I like Brene Brown, right? but there's a <laughs> yeah. version of this where you might be expecting it's... something else, and it, you get something yeah. that you probably this... did not intend, and all to the good, in my opinion.
0: It's I think so. It's wonderful that it's uh, just stealthy in yes. what he's doing, that he tells you pretty quickly. Uh, we're not here talking about the kind of inciting joy that's like snuggling a puppy or the self-care uh-huh. of taking a bubble bath. We're doing... Like we're talking about sitting in communal joy and communal sorrow in service of connection because connection gives us solidarity and Mm -hmm. solidarity is how you make life better and how you change the world. And it's, I think like just a beautiful embodiment of really what we're talking about when we say the personal is political. Like He doesn't have to talk about politics. He doesn't have to talk about policy. He doesn't have to name the things Mm -hmm. that he wishes were different in the world. Instead, he's showing us this is how I live or how I'm trying to live or how I watch somebody live. This is a way that I made meaning or how I saw someone else make meaning. Here's how you might make some meaning. And what would happen if we all got this intentional about our connections and the way we make meaning. And we thought about the function of joy and self care and connection as being about the collective rather than the individual. And I just I love it. Like this is just a straight shot (laughs) to the white hot center of the way I want to think about the world. And I also shared that just delight, I think, that you're talking about of, I think people are going to pick this up off of tables in bookstores and be like, oh, this looks inciting joy. This looks like such a nice book to buy my mother-in-law for Christmas.
1: <laughs> and if you and, know, you know from Book of Delights that it's not yeah. that simple, man. <laughs> it's not, no, it's, not, it's
0: not. And like his, the writing is just like discursive and wandering yeah. and feels like he's talking to you in some ways. Did you read it or listen to it?
1: Listen to it.
0: Oh, how is that?
1: fantastic. I I, I was in a listening tour recently with uh, talking to Algonquin, and I said, I just listened to this, and please sponsor the pod with the excerpt at the end where we can have Ross Gay talk. Well, I I, I think I texted you the one that got me, and I I really liked it, but towards the middle to the end, I can't remember the exact order, there were sort of back-to-back incitements on skateboarding, pickup basketball, and Walt (laughs) Whitman. Uh-huh. And I said to you, "It's like I think I'm done here. I don't know where else to go." And he's good on all of them. He's very seen them. by when he's going through the regulars of the pickup game, the stiff white guy who could shoot. I felt very <laughs> seen by that, um, in in a way that's both exhilarating and indicting. It was wonderful <laughs> on audio. Highly recommend. It's not very long. A yeah. Warm voice. I, the greatest compliment I can give from audio is I I listened to it one x.
0: Mm. Okay,
1: I kind of that's that's my version of completely family friendly metaphor for. um,
0: (laughs) Never going to live that down, am I?
1: (laughs) I don't see how you can, especially now that no one knows what I'm talking about. It's just our secret. It's just it's just a thing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I'm I've been reading it in print, which I'm glad to do because it lets me underline and make notes. And this is a book I'll go back to. The Book of Delights is in the stack of books on my desk that are just things I dip in and out of when I just like need a moment. So I will be very glad that I have inciting joy in paper, but I think I'm going to want to listen to it at some point also. I t- I remember telling you like, well, the second one just made me cry and I was unprepared for Ross Gay to make me cry. And I'm not an easy crier, but he just got me and by like the third or fourth one, I was like, okay, if Ross Gay wants to start a cult, like sign me up. I'm ready.
1: It's like a gardening cult. <laughs> yeah. it's a gardening poetry.
0: Cult. They write poetry and you know, like the potlucks are really good.
1: I got, my cooking game would have to change dramatically. I really have to go through some sort of re-education period and do a lot more with mushrooms than I currently do.
0: I'm ready. I'm an, I know I'll, you I'll are. volunteer for yeah. dessert.
1: Right. Yeah. You're going to make some moss soup. It's going to be off the chain. <laughs> so did you finish the Mukherjee too? Did you finally 50 page way through it? Or are you still meeting I'm that still out? I'm still
0: going. Okay. I'm still meeting it out. Not done right. yet but loving it obviously and yeah, then i Ross did like i would have finished the mucker g by now except i got distracted by a recommendation of matthew perry's new memoir on audio
1: <gasps> that i
0: just sort of impromptu snatched up this weekend it's very good it is uh, like heartbreaking he did not have an
1: easy time rebecca Shinsky. no that is what i learned had, in just a press yes. around this
0: and yeah, I had read a big profile of him in The Times a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and I was like, okay, wow, he's really thoughtful about all of this. Like, It's called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. And the big terrible thing is his addiction, which started when he was in his early 20s. He's in his mid-50s now. It started with alcohol. It progressed to opiates. He's had like many, many surgeries and then medical disasters that led to needing pain care, like, you know, palliative care, pain medicine, to back on opiates, balancing it, just in and out and a real struggle, not an easy life. Like he tells the story in a couple of different ways through the book, but the day that they filmed the episode where Chandler marries Monica, like arguably his biggest moment mm-hmm. on the series he was living in a rehab center and had to get like picked up from the rehab center by a sober member of the, like the tech team driven to the set do his bit and then driven back and dropped off and like no one in the public knows that this is happening at the time but just such a story about the very he's just so honest about the very human things the the needs and longings that led him to You know, seeking out an escape from his pain and then having that combined with the discovery that he's a person who has this predisposition for Mm -hmm. addiction and all of the ways that that has gone against the life that he dreams that he would have and also the life that it has looked to the public like he must have been living when he was, you know, on the most beloved TV show. Of all time. And he's so funny, too, that that, like there's pathos, there's humor, there's so much insight. And the whole thing is driven by this desire that he has landed on of like, kind of a deep not understanding why have I even survived if it's not to Mm. try to help people. So I am telling this story and laying it all out. And even if one person's life is different. Okay. Um, It's just, it's really humble. And I've found it to be really powerful. I've been sort of like popping in my earbuds in and listening in little moments here and there, the kinds of places where I would normally just pick up a book and get 10 minutes of reading. Yeah. And, but I wasn't really planning to read it, but then it just sort of like, uh, I was. Uh, I'm reading all these I, Matthew Perry profiles. And I people was were saying, say, i kind of in the
1: same thing of like looking. It's like, I've always found him interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew a little, I knew enough about the story, but even while watching the show, if you were paying attention to stuff like that. Yeah. His body changes a lot. You knew stuff was happening. You heard stories. He's always an engaging interview, like really funny mm-hmm. and self deprecating. And so, I, in an audiobook memoir, I said recently on a, a separate sales call, like, I think maybe the best marriage of form and, and format is the memoir yeah. um, on audio. So, it's I was looking at how long hours. is it? Oh, it's, it's only, only eight, eight hours. hours. See, that's it's I like not even hear.
0: 300 pages in print. You could knock that out. Yeah.
1: I looked at the Paul Newman one. It was like 17 mm. hours or something, I think. I like, geez, that's a lot of Paul Newman. And I'm a, a yeah. fan, but I can maybe I get to that when I know. I might retire. just
0: watch the HBO documentary
1: instead. Yeah, those look interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anything yeah, else we'll look at the you? sales numbers for um, a couple things, but I didn't care for them, so I'm not going to okay. swag them in public. Fair enough. Um, show notes. bookwright.com slash listen. Send us an email, podcast at bookride.com. I'm especially interested in your holiday recommendation requests. Let us know. We, I've read more this year than any other year, so my, my recs are going to be drawn from a larger pool. That doesn't mean they'll be better. They'll be drawn from a larger pool. Um, and then we'll uh, check out the Patreon if you want to listen to us talk about George Saunders or Plane Reads and Rebecca's Tears um, an <laughs> Existential Crisis. Was it brought out by a book? <laughs>
0: Well, the existential crisis was actually watching Wild at thirty five thousand feet, but I did like sob uncontrollably with two different books by surprise on a plane. Okay,
1: you have to listen to you have to you have to give us (laughs) some money to listen to that. Okay, you don't get that for free, folks. I am sorry. Thank you so much, as always, Rebecca and everybody else. I hope everything's going well for you. Talk to you later.